Do, uh, do keep that uh, passage open on your knees. Everything that I'm going to say, hopefully, for the next few minutes uh, is going to be found in that passage. I'm going to keep referring back to it. It's just a, a one-off sermon. We're looking at a glorious chapter of the Bible as it's uh, a Sunday in between uh, two sermon series. What we do here at Chesington is work our way through books of the Bible, but we're diving into the middle of Isaiah today. Let me, let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you're the speaking God. And you speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit of the Lord Jesus. Please would we hear your voice today. Wherever we are with you, whatever our circumstances of life, please speak into our hearts a word just for us, a word about Jesus, for his name's sake. Amen. Now, do you know that feeling when you're looking for something you've lost? It's usually nothing important, like the, the car keys or your credit card or your phone. And, uh, and you've been looking for it for a while. You know, you've gone through your bedroom like a maniac. You've uh, searched the car. You've even gone to that stage where you're looking in kitchen cupboards. You know that stage, you know you never put your car keys in the kitchen cupboards. But for some reason, you start looking through the kitchen cupboards. And you, you, just, you just give up. You say, that's it, stuff it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit down for a couple of minutes. You sit down at the table in the kitchen. You pick up the magazine you are reading and... Oh, there they are, just below the magazine, right where you left them. That's an hour of my life that I'm never going to get back. Totally wasted, utterly pointless, right in front of my face, all the time. Now, if, if you read the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, you might get a bit of a feeling that that's the situation of, of God's people. You see, God's people in the first half of the Bible, have right in front of them the living God. Time and time again, he rescues them and brings them to himself. He he puts them in a beautiful promised land. He's faithful to them every single day. But but they just don't see it. They they keep going and looking for security and, and contentment elsewhere. And then they feel sorry for themselves when life doesn't work. That's the life of God's people in the first half of the Bible in the Old Testament. And I think that's the life for a lot of Christians in the UK in the 21st century. That's certainly my life. You see, we know God loves us. We, we, We can get the children to tell us that because he sent the Lord Jesus to die for us. We know that he's going to be faithful to us. He's promised that. Day by day, he sticks with us whatever happens. We know that he teaches us to find our joy and our security and our meaning and our purpose in him. It's right before us all the time. It's it's not really hard to find. Yet we still waste our time looking for it everywhere else. We might even be able to repeat the doctrines of the Bible, but we we just struggle to feel them. To feel that faith in Christ brings peace. Or we spend a lot of time actually feeling that God doesn't care or that God isn't there or if he is there, he doesn't seem able to help me in my particular situation. Did you see how the people felt in Isaiah's day when they they looked to their own strength and not to God's? It came in verse 29. They felt weary. They felt weak. Isn't that how many people feel in life? Isn't maybe that how you feel quite a lot of the time? Tired, weak. That's, that's the life of the Median Jones household. 
We, we've already had tears in our household this morning. Constantly looking in all the wrong places. Now, now we're diving in, as I said, to Isaiah 40. So let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in history here. It's about 700 years BC as Isaiah is writing. And as he writes, he's preaching to Judah. It's, it's the southern kingdom of what used to be Israel and Judah. Judah's all that's left now of God's people because in 722 BC, the Assyrians have come and wiped out the northern kingdom, Israel. And Judah's problem is they've got a religion that sort of goes through the motions, but they just won't trust God with the big decisions of life. So in Isaiah 1 to 12, we see what their life is like under wicked king Ahaz. And the question is, will they trust God or will they go for someone else when it comes to the local superpower, Assyria? Then in chapters 13 to 27, God explains how he's going to destroy all the powers of the world. So really they should trust him, but they opt for Egypt instead. And it's wiped out in a day. And then in chapters 28 to 39, we have the recording of Assyria coming to attack Judah. But literally, just at the very last minute, Hezekiah, who's king, he turns to the Lord for help. And overnight, God puts to death 185,000 Assyrian troops that are amassed outside the gates of Jerusalem, just like that. The problem is that Hezekiah, he really quite likes being a player on the world stage, So no sooner has God rescued the uh, people of God from the Assyrians than he's showing the the Babylonian ambassador around his treasury and his his military hardware store. Hezekiah's there going, look at me, look at me, look at all my toys, look at everything I got for Christmas, aren't I great? And so God says to Hezekiah, well, because you're so keen on the Babylonians, you'll be glad to know you're all going there for a 70-year holiday. I'm sending you there in exile. As a punishment, away from my land to a pagan foreign land. And that's what's happened in in 566 BC. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes and Jerusalem is besieged and God's people are taken away. But, But in chapter 40, there's a massive change of tone. See, the question... For all of us, really, and the the question that's at the heart of Isaiah is this statement that comes in Isaiah 7-9. It's on the screen behind me. This is the strap line of the book. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If today you are not standing firm in faith in the God of the Bible, you will not stand at all. And, And what... God gives in chapters 40 to 55 of Isaiah as a a message of grace, of his undeserved loving kindness to his people. It's for them while they're struggling away in exile in Babylon. It's like a survival manual to encourage them to keep going when life is tough. And it outlines a a glorious rescue God's going to bring. First of all, it it looks like it's simply talking about the way that God's going to bring his people back after 70 years from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But, But then as we read, it seems to be a plan actually for the whole world. You see, Isaiah 40 is like the opening crescendo of a symphony of salvation. It's a chapter that says, this is your God. Will you trust him? That's a great question to start a year with, isn't it? And here's the first thing Isaiah tells us about our God. He's the God of intimate comfort. 
the God of intimate comfort. You see, the Lord says to Isaiah, comfort my people with the news that I'm coming to visit. Chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that a hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Literally revive, bring life into my people. Exile in Babylon was, was going to be hard. But, but now's the time for the people to return home. They've been disciplined by God. That they were there for 70 years. But, but God's discipline is limited. Like a, a loving father, now he comes to bring rescue to them. Did you see how it's described in verse 3? A voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's the ultimate bypass. A highway to heaven. Carving through every obstacle. God is at the front of his people, leading the way. Like the time that he he rescued them from slavery back with Moses in the Exodus. Do you remember that? But but this is like a new Exodus. It's going to be better. God's going to come and rescue his people. And as he does, well, we'll see just how great he is, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see this is bigger than just the return from exile? All people, all mankind will see this rescue. This is a a global rescue. And Isaiah's got got a question for God in verse 6. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Cry out that people are weak. A moment's beauty in life. And then death. I saw recently a, a sign on the side of a fire engine. It said, A seatbelt takes 30 seconds to put on. Death is forever. That's Isaiah's point, isn't it? Life's so brief. We're so frail. Have you done what I did yesterday? Just go through the, the glossy mags and look at who's died in 2017? Like it's all the children presenters of my youth have gone. Life seems so brief. I know, says God. Look at verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of our God endures forever. That's why Isaiah can speak to encourage the people, because as it says at the end of verse 5, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oh, I'm coming, says the Lord. And what he says happens. Oh, people might seem as fragile as a flower dried in the summer sun, but he is not. No, no, I'm coming, says the Lord. Tell them what I'm like, verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the hands of Judah, here is your God. And what is your God like in verse 10? Well, he is powerful and strong. The sovereign Lord who rules with a mighty arm, who brings his reward and recompense with him. He cannot be defeated. Nothing will stand in his way. He is utterly capable of doing everything he says. 
But do you see how he's also described in verse 11? He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I don't think there's a a more reassuring picture in the Bible. The God whose arms are stronger than any other is the Lord who gently cradles his struggling people close to his own heart. Who who gently leads them like a a little lamb to safety. Now, Now isn't this the God our world is crying out for? The one who comes to bring both justice and love. The one who comes in power and tenderness. The one who comes not just to take exiles home from Babylon back to Judah. No, actually, Mark begins his gospel with these words. Here's Mark's gospel, chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger away ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You see, these words in Isaiah are, of course, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, the one who comes in power and justice. Demons flee before him. Nature bows to his command. Whenever he opens his mouth, whatever he says is right and true and happens. And yet the one who comes in gentleness and tenderness, who sits a small child on his knee, who who goes out of his way to stoop to the rejected, the outcast, the beggar, who shows love to the unlovely and the unloved, and who promises his people that, that he's done everything to rescue them through his death and resurrection. You see, the Lord Jesus is the one who stretched wide his arms to be nailed to a cross so that he could gather up his sheep gently in his arms and hold them close to his heart and then take them home. Do you know this God? Here is your God. Do you know him? If you don't know this God, 2018 would be a a great year to get to know him, wouldn't it? You could come along here if you live locally. Our next three services and Sunday mornings in January are all about answering people's questions who don't know this God. We love here to explain to people why our God is so great and so precious. Or perhaps you do know him, but you just, just don't feel this comfort. Because you're just not listening to his word. You just haven't spent much time with him recently. You've let the worries of this life crowd out the word of God that stands forever. Worry versus the word. That's the constant battle of the Christian life, isn't it? Flap attack versus the faithful God. Everything daily that seems to crowd in that seems more important versus listening to the one who actually gives me life, breath, and everything. Well, let Isaiah convince you why this God is worth trusting. Because here's the second thing he shows us. He's the God of incomparable power. The God of incomparable power. Do you do much much comparison shopping? I have to confess that due to the advert, I now want to shoot the man on the Go Compare advert. I don't know what his name is, but I do hate him with a passion. 
But you can get these comparison shopping websites, can't you? You can compare gas prices and TV prices and all these sort of things. And the problem with, with the people of Judah in exile is they're in danger of comparing God with the world around them. They're trying to compare the Lord with the things that the Babylonians worship and live for. We actually do it without even thinking about it. We constantly place our emotional security in the world rather than God. We sort of think, I know I should trust God, but... Which basically means I I compare God to what I think I I really need to be safe, secure, and, and, and loved and happy. God versus money, or God versus giving into my kids' demands, or God versus the house I want. We play that compare game. And, and there's a, a repeated question in this section that, that shows us why that's quite a silly thing to do. It comes in verse 18 and verse 25. Look at verse 18 with me. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? It comes again in verse 25. To whom will you compare me, says the Lord? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? And to help them make this comparison, the Lord sets out a set of questions. And the answer to all these questions is very simple. No one. Or God. Okay, it's an exam with two answers. No one or God. Look at verse 12 with me. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, or in the balance, the hills in the balance? Every ocean, sea, lake, river in his hand. The sky fitting between his his little finger and his thumb. All the world's soil in his basket. Every mountain chain on his kitchen scales. Uh, Verse 13 to 14 asks us, have you found out anything about God recently that he didn't show you? Have you managed to give God any advice recently on how he should run the universe? Or look at verse 15. Who can fathom the spirit of... uh, Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. It's not that people are insignificant. Of course we're not insignificant. Why would he speak to us like this if we were? No, it's just we're much, much, much smaller than him. Infinitely smaller. And so the Lord says in verse 16, Lebanon is not sufficient altar fires, nor its animals enough burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are guarded by him as worthless. They are less than nothing. It is crazy, isn't it? We, we think we can control our lives. Do you do that? I mean, maybe you've got some plans for, for 2018. We think we're in control of our lives. But frankly, I don't know about you, I can't even control my mood. I can't control the weather. I can't control my job prospects. I can't control my children. And, and most mad of all is the idea that we might be able to control God. Here, here the suggestion is perhaps we could twist his arm with a sacrifice or two. And he says, look, you could burn every tree in the country. You could, have, you could slaughter every horse in Surrey. I was going to say cows, but there aren't many cows in Surrey. Every horse in Surrey and offer them as a sacrifice to me. It won't make any difference. You've got to see God as God. There's no one like him. There's nothing to compare him to. It doesn't stop people trying, though. Did you see that in verse 18? With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for gold, a metal worker casts it, 
and the goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions it with silver chains. They had some lovely idols in Babylon, some beautiful statues, but they're man-made. I mean, they look shiny on the outside, but they're just a lump of metal in the middle. And if you can't afford metal, well, fortunately for you, you can get the B&Q value version, the IKEA, bottom of the line. Verse 20, get your select wood idol. Just keep sure, do you see the end of verse 20? Get it made by someone who gives it a flat bottom, otherwise it'll fall over. You don't want your God falling over on you. It'd be comedy, wouldn't it? Unless you've been, say, to Southeast Asia and seeing people bowing to gold statues of the Buddha and offering food enslaved to the belief this will help them. Unless you've been to churches in this country and seen people standing before statues, lighting candles, bowing to an image, believing that this will help them. Unless you've walked through Kopar Gardens on a Sunday morning and seen people washing their cars again this week because if it's shiny then people will think better of them their status in the world will be improved or people slaving away redecorating their house because that will bring joy to their heart it would be comedy wouldn't it unless this was the way our heart so often works and God's people should have known better verse 21 he says do you not know Yes, they do know. Have you not heard? Yes, they have heard. Has it not been taught you from the beginning? Yes, they have been taught from the beginning. Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Well, they should have. It's a question repeated in verse 28. God rules all people. He's the king of kings. Why are you worshipping other things? See, history teaches us that verse 23 and 24 are true. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Every dictator and empire has, has risen and fallen. You know, the Roman Empire, the, the British Empire, the Third Reich, you know, and praise God, Donald Trump, they come, they go. But God, he goes on and on and on and on and on. The world's powerful men, they all die. But not the Lord. So don't compare the Lord to anyone. In fact, God gives a little practical exercise here. Verse 26, it's one we can do for ourselves. Have a look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. See, we don't, we don't even know where all the stars are, do we? Let alone name them. I read recently of a, a schoolgirl who, in her science project, accidentally discovered 22 new stars. Yeah, that, that's how many stars there are out there. We just, we just keep finding them by chance. So, so why don't you try this as an exercise? You can go out and look up at a, a clear night sky and then ask yourself, how much influence have I had over arranging those? And then read Isaiah 40, verse 26. He brings out the starry host one by one. He calls forth each of them by name. So let me ask you, did you believe that God is like this? That what he says about himself is true? That there's no measuring him? That that you can't stick him in a box? You can't make him perform in the way you want? that, That he is God that you are not? That he is the creator, that you are a creature. That that he places the atoms of the universe and holds them together. And and, and we just are made up of atoms. 
See, there's no comparing him. It's so blatantly stupid, isn't it, for any created person to worship something they've made. But that's what we do. He has no equals. So here's the question for us. Why bother going anywhere else? See, the danger for the exiles in Babylon is that they look to the world through Babylonian spectacles. And all they could see is, we're in a wealthy pagan empire, we're the small remnant of the people of God, and frankly, it looks far better being a Babylonian around here. It's so tangible, so real, so attractive. And God says, no, I made all that, I rule all that, I'm much bigger than all that. And they discovered that, because the Medes and Persians came down, they wiped out the Babylonians, and God's people were back in Jerusalem 70 years later. And we're just the same. We look at the world through world spectacles. It's why, it's why advertising works. And rather than looking at the world through God's word. And so often we, we feel so small and insignificant and, and, you know, we're an okay-sized church, but compared to the number of people who are in Kingston at the sales, there's not very many of us here this morning. And we look at the world through world spectacles. And the Lord says, look, I made all that. I rule all that. And I'm for you. So why compare me to all that? To to trust me? That's the question God asks in verse 27. It takes us to our our last point. Why why don't you trust me? And the last thing is that he's the God of infinite care. You see, he's, he's the God of intimate comfort. He's the God of incomparable power. And he's the God of infinite care. Because you think, if God's so different from us, so removed from us, so powerful and majestic, you think, well, he's got no time for little old me. But nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? That's how Judah feels. Perhaps that's how you feel this morning. Perhaps certainly that's how you felt at times during... 2017, God, God, God just can't see the rough time I'm having, or he's, he's just too busy, or he's not powerful enough to sort out my life, or he just, he just doesn't care about me enough. I mean, if, if God loved me, why is life like this? Did you see whose life it is in verse 27? My way, my cause. See, the problem with God's people is that rather than letting the perfect God set the agenda for their lives, they want to do it my way. Don't worry, I'm not going to break into song. But that's what they want. My way. Lord, have you not read my plan? Have you not really? I've got the shopping list of life here. I've got the calendar, the diary set. Will you please just get on board with me? Don't you care enough to run the world around me? And the extraordinary thing is that though that is the attitude of our hearts, though that was the attitude of, of Judah's heart, that though we bear, we, we blame God for the way that he doesn't do what we want, even though he's God, no, he's still faithful, and he's still loving, and he's still for us. Look at verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. You look, I'm everlasting, says the Lord, you're not. I'm creator, you're a creature. I t- 
You tire, I don't. I know everything. I am the God who, who is so different from you, and yet I am the God who comes to strengthen you, who will be there for you in your weariness, who will give you strength in your weakness. So when life is just wearing you down, when you cannot fulfill your dreams. Oh no, the Lord won't pick you up and give you your dreams. But he comes alongside you, gathers you in his arms, and makes you part of his plan. Youth passes. Youth passes. Despite all our efforts in the gym and in the salon, perhaps you've been out for a few guilt-ridden post-Christmas runs, It passes. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. An older man at our church in Preston was telling me about the time on national service... Uh, which is when younger people, you had to go into the army for a couple of years after the Second World War. He was going for recruitment with the parachute regiment. And he met a man on the train as he was going up for the recruitment process who was also a Christian who'd just been through the same process. And he told him how he did do an assault course again and again against the clock. And once they'd done it three times and were utterly spent and exhausted, they'd be asked, any volunteers for another time? And they knew... If they didn't, they wouldn't get selected. And the man said, look, I knew I needed God's strength. And so he said, I prayed this, Lord, you lift up my feet, I'll put them down again. Now, I'm not sure that the end of Isaiah 40 is a promise of physical strength. I think it's a promise of something far better. Hope in trusting God. Hope for your future. A certain promise for them. That's what Isaiah is going to spell out to the exiles over the coming chapters. He's going to spell out over the coming chapters a saviour. A saviour who will come who is both the Lord and yet will suffer in the place of his people. Will take a punishment that they deserve upon himself and bring them peace. And he's going to talk about a city A city which is so beautiful and perfect that death are not part of it. A city that that looks like heaven on earth, where his people will be forever. And those are promises that are all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. You see, he's the one who says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you weary and burdened this morning? Or perhaps just you're not a human being. I think those are the two options as far as I can see. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Trust me with your life, says the Lord. Know the rest of a secure relationship with God because of the Lord Jesus' death on the cross. Know that strength comes from admitting your weakness before him and living in dependence upon him. Know that there is nothing you can do in life that will, in the end, 
be better for you than to know and trust this God. Know his peace. There are 15 questions in Isaiah 40. And they're supposed to rip us from trusting in ourselves or anyone or anything else. And to leave us trusting in Jesus. I, I don't know what 2018 has for me. I've got, I got some nice ideas. I'm not sure many of them are going to come off. I certainly don't know what 2018 has for you. I don't know what you're trusting in this morning. But Isaiah 40 says to you, here is your God. And he is the God of infinite comfort. With a strong arm who can guide and take you gently close to his heart through life. And he's the God of incomparable power. Who is more than able to to keep you through whatever this year or all the years to come throughout you. And he is the God of infinite care and compassion. He's not going to run out of energy. He's not going to tire. He's not going to grow weak. And he says, trust in me and you will stand. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will stand. I don't know what 2018 holds for you. But I know that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's bow our heads for a moment's quiet. It's just time for you to do business with the Lord. After a couple of minutes of quiet for you to speak to the Lord about your fears for the year to come, maybe to speak to him about your regrets of the year past, maybe to thank him for the way that he has upheld you through struggles, maybe to ask him because of the struggles you see that are on the horizon. Spend some time doing that and then Ben Daniel's going to come and lead us in prayer.